Welcome to another episode of the Nourishing Africa podcast. As usual, we have brought you another exciting episode that's filled with a lot of amazing insights from our guests today. Our topic for today is breaking into new markets. Now, it is the dream of every entrepreneur to expand their businesses and get the product into new markets. However, many entrepreneurs struggle with the process of getting this product into an already saturated market. There are many obstacles entrepreneurs face in this aspect, ranging from the comforts they have in their current business model to the fear of the product adaptability in new markets. Now, breaking into new markets might be one of the most difficult aspects of running a business. However, it is necessary for business growth and continuous profitability. Thus, we are excited to have one of our biggest ambassadors and member of our Nourishing Africa community on our podcast today, Claudia Castellanos, founder and managing director of Black Member Foods. She'll be highlighting from her personal experience, practical solutions and steps entrepreneurs can take while breaking into new markets. Claudia, it's great to have you with us today. Welcome to the Nourishing Africa podcast. Good morning, Jane, and thank you so much for having me over in this podcast. I am very excited here and, as usual, very grateful for all the amazing effort and work that you do through Nourishing Africa. Thank you so much for your kind words, Claudia. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you started Black Mamba Roots. I am originally, funny enough, from Colombia. I only arrived in Africa 12 years ago when I had what I call my 30 years old crisis. I just wanted to look for purpose. I was working on a very corporate job in Italy. I just wanted to do something different. So I started looking for opportunities for volunteering. And one of those opportunities landed me in Swaziland, now a Swatini, where I could start working on marketing and defining marketing strategies and redefining sort of the movement of marketing for social business in a Swatini called Gone Rural that works with many rural women. And they teach them how to weave mats made out of local grass called Lutinzi. And then they put more sort of international designs and they actually managed to market and sells those baskets around the world. That experience was very important for me because I started working with women straight away and I saw that Eswatini could be a great place to work for development, which is what I wanted to do for women and to actually do something that could include grassroots communities. So after a few years working here, because as I work as a volunteer for four months, but then I decided never to go back into corporate life. <laughs> so I decided to stay in Eswatini. Um, I started to think about how I could replicate that business model that I had seen working in handcrafts in something that was a little bit closer to something that I really loved, which was food. <laughs> and back then I had met my now husband, Joe, that was crazy about chilies. So the whole idea of Black Mamba started working through that. So how could you actually integrate a, an inclusive value chain of rural communities into a product that would be based on food and done with something really fun and exciting like chilies? And that's how Black Mamba was born. And that was in 2010. So that's kind of like how we started Black Mamba. Thank you so much, Claudia, for that. It's amazing to see how the 30-year crisis, as you have called it, and your love for food has brought you into this amazing entrepreneurship space that you have gone into. Now, congratulations on your recognition by Tropics Magazine as top 500 of Africa's most influential leaders. I mean, you've told us a bit about your entrepreneurial journey in your introduction, but tell us a bit more, especially with the journey that has gotten you up until this point, being recognized in the space and all of this. Well, I have to say that recognition took me a bit by surprise because <laughs> I always said, well, I am, I don't know if I'm influential when I cannot even influence kids to go to bed early and to eat their dinner. 
know. But I think one thing that took me to this point, I think as an entrepreneur, coming from the corporate world as an entrepreneur, what I've been always doing, I've been very stubborn. I think some people use a very nice word instead of a stubborn, that is um, perseverance. <laughs> Basically, I've never really given up on the idea of the fact that I was building something good. And when I said good, it's not only good, obviously, as a business, you know, to make profit, but good for the communities and as was the base and the foundation for Black Mamba. But also throughout our work with Black Mamba, we become really, really purpose driven in terms of the environment as well. So I think that's sort of like um, speech related to what I call the triple bottom line. You know, when you based your business, not only on profit, but also on people and planet brings that sort of speech around what you do that becomes quite interesting for other people. What I call is my gospel, is my green gospel. So I bring it to everybody that wants to hear it. I think I translate a lot of passion around it and it's something that the world needs a lot, needs purpose and it needs businesses with purpose. So that has become sort of a mantra or a green gospel, whatever you want to call it for Black Mamba. I think that has brought us to where we are to make a distinctive business that has these qualities. Um, I think the second thing that has brought me here is like endless curiosity. I'm a very curious person by nature. I always want to learn. I always want to ask questions. I never feel scared of asking people or asking even people that you believe, oh my God, this person is never going to talk to me. I always say to myself, what was the worst thing that can happen that that person doesn't reply to my email or doesn't want to reply to my WhatsApp or anything, you know? So by being very curious and approaching probably the right people that have become throughout time mentors and people that are able to open channels for Black Mamba, that has been very, very important as well. And related to that, I think one thing that is very, very important, and I would say that's for every entrepreneur, the sooner the better, is to start building a good network. Other entrepreneurs start checking into amazing platforms like Nourishing Africa, you know, that actually connects you to other people that are in your same journey. And you start building networks with organizations that might be able to support you in your journey as well. One thing that is very, very important for me is the concept of paying it forward. As well as running Black Mamba, I've always been mentoring other entrepreneurs. I've always been very good and, and, and generous, I think, about sharing information, sharing experiences, which is what I believe is what sort of fits this whole entrepreneurial network for us in Africa. So the whole concept of if you can help me today, I will help somebody else tomorrow works very well. And it's something that I believe has brought this sort of like motion about what we do as Black Mamba and about what I preach for in terms of Black Mamba. Thank you, Claudia, for this amazing insight in your entrepreneurial journey. I'm definitely sure this has had a lot of impact on you as a person and as your business. Now, Black Mamba has continued to successfully introduce its range of products into new markets. Its spices, its chili, and all various ranges of products have become very, very popular. Now, how has this been successfully achieved and what key steps are taken before launching the product into a new market? Black Mamba, that's a very interesting case because we got launched into new markets. It was very interesting when I when I, you told me about the topic of the podcast because we had no choice but to become very quickly exports because Eswatini itself is a very small country with a very small market for specialty goods. You know, when you have 1.2 million people of which around 60% live uh, below the line poverty, then it's very difficult to break or to have impactful sales in terms of products that are considered gourmet. So from the very beginning, when we started working and created Black Mamba, uh, we knew for a fact that we needed to export our products. 
So from the very beginning, the purpose was to create a product with the quality that was good enough to be able to enter new markets. I think that's a very, very important thing for anyone else that is entering new markets, especially when you're talking about branded products, is to play the part, you know? So with Black Mamba, we always say that we like to, and it's one of our taglines, to do products that taste good, look good, and do good. So the taste good part is because you're doing food, that is something that is absolutely a condition that you cannot leave behind at any point. If you're doing food, the first thing that you need to do is food that tastes good. So in our case, we started saying, how do we taste good? We taste good by actually using real ingredients, real food, not, not taking shortcuts, taking real chilies. It's something that is very interesting because I didn't know a lot about lean or real food before I started this journey. But a lot of products that you see on the shelves, if you actually look at the list of ingredients, you see that most of them are like rebuilt and they have a lot of preservatives and a lot of, you know, like artificial stuff that have funny letters and funny numbers. And I always wanted to get Black Mamba away from that. I just want to see, I really believe that you are what you eat. <laughs> so you don't want to be toxic in a way. So I think the taste good for food is an aspect that we wanted to do from the beginning and we explore it and that actually differentiate us from other products in the market then the look good that's something that is so important especially if you're going for a higher end market you need to make sure that you not only taste good but you always play the part as well so from the very beginning we started looking into really high quality packaging because that's related to our target market perhaps if you're doing a different sort of product you don't need to look into that but when you're doing a specialty product products the, the look is also very important i would probably say as important as the taste because it's the first thing that attracts a person to your product you go to a shelf you look a product that looks the part person might actually be curious and will actually be trying to try it just for once out of curiosity obviously they will taste it and that's what will ensure the repurchase but basically the looking part is very important so for us it was from the very beginning looking at a product the way i see my products is that if i put it at a shelf in the u.s at whole foods which is our mecca you know that's where we want to see black mamba products that it plays a part that it belongs on that shelf you know that it belongs in a house of a target market or one of the countries that we have that could be you know like a, a household in in the states that like all the hot sauce but they like also the really nice quality food but they like to actually work with sustainable food i want my product to look well there so that's the look good and i think another part that was very important for us on looking into new markets was the do good part we do a lot of research on trends and what's happening and it's very close to actually the values and foundations of black mamba because part of obviously the purpose of our business is to do good to the rural communities we work with to the planet itself um we realize as well that even though that's part of the foundations of black mamba that has become a great marketing tool. I was reading a st study a couple of weeks ago that said that nowadays, especially in the younger generations, you're talking millennials, you're talking Gen Zers, 81% of people that were interviewed in that study mentioned that they would be more inclined to buy from an ethical food, from an ethical, sorry, brand, from a brand that actually would take care of how they make the product. Take care is obviously in our case, working with our rural communities that we work with, that grow our ingredients, doing training for them through a partnership that we have in an NGO into green agriculture, regenerative agriculture, but also the doing good part would be from the planet. We pack our products in either highly recyclable material like glass, we don't pack in plastic, or biodegradable, which is our carton. So we stay away as much as possible from plastic. That has allowed us to actually, from the very beginning, build high quality products. So you are already having a product that, that look the part that is ready for export markets in that sense. Then what you have to do, I would say also very much related to your product is understanding who your target market is, who is your customer, who is gonna buy your product. 
So in terms of Black Mamba, what we did is we created what you call in marketing a persona, which is what is this person that buys Black Mamba? Who is this person? What's their name? What's the age? What they like to do? Where do they live? And we're creating these personas and then we actually name them. So the main sort of like target market for Black Mamba is what we call chili heads, which is obviously those people that really like hot foods. They're very inclined on eating something that is very tasty, but that is very hot. So that's a very good market for hot sauces is usually men. And another big, big market that we have, we call it what we call the ethical foodies, which is a foodie is considered a person that loves food. But the ethical foodies are also very interested in knowing where their food comes from. So that helps us very much to define where are the markets around, you know, the, the planet that are more inclining to actually being chili heads or actually being ethical foodies and where are the markets where there's not that such a high competition. Because if you think about it for a chili head, you could think straight away, well, Mexico or India, where they eat lots of spices. But again, it might be, I always said, it's like probably bringing um, ice to Eskimos. We might have to actually work in a very, very competitive environment. But then you have other markets that have an interesting growth in the spicy taste, in the chili taste, like the United States, which is one of our biggest markets, the UK as well, and Taiwan, for some strange reason, is one of our markets, but we're actually doing really, really good. We're looking into Middle East. So all the places that could actually work with people that like spicy food, that there's a growing interest in spicy food. But the ethical food is with to start with, that was kind of like a no-brainer. We started looking for countries where there's an advanced market on, on people willing to be checking more carefully where the products come from. So that was, for instance, Germany. Germany was our first export market. And it was very interesting because even though you would think that Germans in general don't eat spicy food, there is a niche market, especially because there's so migration nowadays and they have a large Turkish population that has brought a sense of spice into their food that they have an inclined taste for spicy food. And also it was a market that was very much ready and relevant for the concept of ethical food. So that worked very well in our case in trying to understand who your target customer is and where do I find that customer? Just you start pinpointing which are the markets that are easier for you to, to get into, what I call also the low hanging fruits. And then the third thing that is extremely important is you have already a good product, you know who is your buyer, then for export markets, the third point that is very important is to understand the legal and the logistics parts involved with exporting. And that I would say is probably the, for me, because I'm not a very operational person, it's one of the toughest parts because every market has different regulations. In terms of food, for instance, a big thing for any food producer, any agripreneur is to have a food safety certification. So you might need these in your local ground and any country I think has their own local regulations for food safety. But you need to as well start thinking what are the regulations and what do export markets need. So based on that, what we started doing very early is try to get a international food safety certification. One that would be basically taken from almost any country in the world. So the certification that we started pursuing is called FSSC 22000. And that certification is so stringent and so strict that basically once you get that certification, the first thing that any distributor in other countries is going to ask you is show me your international food safety certification. And they all so far have accepted FSC 22000. So that's a big part of preparation, getting your ducks in a row in terms of certifications and regulations. And another big thing is label regulations. Every country in the world, you know, well, because it's food related, I always say to myself, I don't know why we decided to go into such a tough market. <laughs> 
instead of doing another market like handcrafts or anything else, is the fact that you have to actually have your labels translated, not only in the language of the country where you're exporting, but also following specific criteria and regulations we have specifically for those countries. So that means, for instance, for Taiwan, we need to translate our labels in Chinese. We need to make sure that the nutritional facts are actually presented in the way they want it presented, and every country is different. The United States have a way of presenting that. Taiwan has a way. The UK has a way. Everybody has a different way. So that becomes a little bit complicated, but it's something that needs to be done. And obviously, what you need to do is to start looking into what are the regulations that are more related to the country where you need to go. And I always found very important there again, going back to the fact that I'm very curious, is to start asking. So ask your customs department in your country. That's what I did to start with. Ask other people that are exporting already. Again, your network. Hey, I'm trying to export to Germany. I know you export to Germany. What do you need to do? So that's always a very good sort of start. That's in terms of regulations, and I think the last part of the puzzle in terms of the operational part is the exports, the the shipping, the logistics. So start looking into what makes more sense. You know, like which is: Are you going to use sea freight? Are you going to use air freight? Are you going to give your distributors or customer prices up to delivery in their country, or are you going to say, "I will bring it to port," which is what we do. We usually offer FOB prices free on board. We bring it to a port in South Africa, then you take over from there. So that basically means you actually check on your pricing. That involves and adds as well the shipping of your products in our case to Durban Port or Cape Town Port, and then from there your customer takes over. Some customers like to do that because they can consolidate with other producers. Some other customers like to for you to calculate a price up to delivery to the final destination, which obviously incurs like it's a higher price for them, but it's a higher risk for you. So it's very very important to start learning that. And again, I think the best thing for that is to find a good freight forwarder. We have a great freight. For water, we've been working with since the very, very beginning for Black Mamba, and that's a very good thing to have. And then start looking for the different sort of like agents that you can have around the world to help you with that. Again, the best way to do that is to ask questions, to ask your network, to look online, and start questions. I mean, literally to the day of today, after 12 years I've been running this business, I question and I ask and I contact people all the time. On LinkedIn, on Google, people of people of people that know people, friends, other entrepreneurs, etc., etc. But that's kind of like the main things I believe you need to do when you're try to enter new markets. Thank you so much, Claudia. A lot of very practical insights on how、um, entrepreneurs can go about entering new markets. Mentioned a couple of things around certifications, product innovations, research, pricing, and just generally asking the right questions to, of course, the right set of people. Now, I can imagine that after years of running this business, after years of entering or trying to gain entry into new markets, there may have been certain challenges and risk factors that you have faced. So, what are these challenges? Or you can highlight some of the major challenges. Challenges and risk factors that you have faced, how you mitigated them, and how you were able to navigate through all of these things and launching successful products in new markets. Being an entrepreneur, I think you have you live in a world of challenges. <laughs> I think any entrepreneur, nobody's going to say that being an entrepreneur is easy. But I would say for exporting in particular, I would and, and and something that I believe everybody faces throughout their journey as entrepreneurs is the the financial resources to support your growth. That is a fact. You know, like you want to enter a new market, you need to be able to have resources to. 
do the research about the market, to print the new labels that you need to do for that. You need to have the resources to actually see, well, depending on where the risk lies and who's going to pay for what, you need to actually perhaps cover the cost of actually preparing your products, cover the cost of shipping, and some of your customers will pay you when the product arrives. Some other customers will pay you 60 days after the product arrives. If you're using Seafreight, that might be two months till the product arrives. So it's very important to be able to actually Check on your cash flow, see what you can afford, see the potential tools that you can do to sort of like finance your orders. That's something that we found very early also, like businesses that have a good, interesting, ethical background. There are quite a few organizations that that look into supporting the growth of those businesses. I mean, obviously the no-brainer first one would be, well, you know, you can get financing through loans, through bank. You can get financing through these organizations. We work for a few years with a good organization called Shared Interest. In, in the UK that actually works on that, works on helping you finance the creation of the order. You got a big order, you need to just, you need money to actually produce it. So they help you on that and that what they do is they get repayments by when your buyer pays you back, which is quite, quite nice, you know, because it's included into the whole flow. So financial resources and the way we've been navigating that is through different options of financing. Obviously, at a certain point where you're growing, you can start financing your orders with your own resources. And then I think that is very interesting, I guess. And the way we've been doing it is just as much as possible, just starting small and keep on growing, you know, just to give everyone, anyone an idea. Our first export that we did, and I believe it, to, and I remember it to the day of today, we sent four boxes of chili sauces. So that would be 80 units of chili sauces to Germany. And, and that was our first order. And it, we were super excited. I just couldn't believe that was the first year of Black Mamba. And those four boxes are nowadays probably around four pallets that we send to Germany every year. Start small because obviously if you make a mistake being small, it's not as costly as if you make a big mistake being bigger. Another example that we have on that, that was a very costly mistake. Exporting to the US, you need to be registered with the FDA. That's a Food and Drug Administration. That is the organization that deals with anything that is food related and food safety to food safety in the US. So you have to be registered. You have to fill a lot of documents. Uh, back then, we didn't have any money. A lot of wiser entrepreneurs than me actually hire consultancy company to do that. But back then I said, well, you know what? I don't have the money to do that. And I'm sure I can do it by myself, which I did, but not perfectly. <laughs> and then we had this shipment going to the US and then it arrived into the US and got stopped at FDA because I hadn't filled some of the documents for the application. And it got there stuck in the US, I think for a week. And every day you have to pay for that warehousing. And my having a distributor completely nervous because he couldn't do anything from his side. Me absolutely going nuts because I was talking to the people from the FBA, but they were eight hours behind. And then it was me working at one in the morning and tried to understand what was a mistake that I did what I need to do. And time was passing and every day they were charging us a hundred dollars, I think for warehousing. It was a very stressful and a very, I mean, obviously this is what I said, you pay school fees, but it was a very stressful and a very expensive mistake. So I would say those challenges is better just to research properly, get the help if you can get the help at some point. I understand as entrepreneurs, you try to do everything by yourself because it's cheaper, but sometimes cheaper becomes more expensive. And I think the other thing that for me was very difficult at the beginning was the distance with my main markets. You know, when you're in this tiny country in the South of Africa and then um, your main sort of customer is in the UK, I've always realized for Black Mamba and the way you actually present or I present the products and the passion that I translate works very, works much better when I'm face to face with a person, when I'm able to talk through, 
through those things. But then uh, what I realized is that when you're far away before, it's very difficult to actually translate that passion. But a good thing, and then one of the silver linings of this sort of new world we're entering in is the fact that we can do a lot more digitally now with virtual meetings. So that's an, a thing that has worked very well on Black Mamba's behalf on being able to approach the market in a different way and getting closer to our customers virtually, if not if we can anything else. Otherwise, a great thing that you can do and a lot of countries support that for their entrepreneurs is doing trade shows. And now we're going back into face-to-face -face trade shows, which is another great way to actually just get to see your customers, get to meet new customers, um, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you so much, Claudia, for really highlighting those particular challenges that you have faced while trying to launch your product. One can really tell that you have learned a lot from your experiences, and I hope that our listeners out there would also learn from your experience. Now, moving on to the next question, really, at what point is a business safe or ready to venture into new markets in terms of reducing the risk factors that they may face and just in terms of making sure that their products are really ready to be out there. That's very interesting, Jane, because I think in the particular case of Black Mamba, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast, is like we had to export out of necessity because <laughs> we had no choice. From the very beginning, we knew that the local market was way too small, which other, other countries don't have that issue. You know, if you think about a country like South Africa, when you have millions and millions of people that could actually reach your product locally, there is not necessarily an immediate need of exploring new markets. So in the case of Black Mamba, for us, it's been literally from the very beginning, we knew that the sort of product that we had couldn't get a lot of sales because of the size of our local market and also because our target market was very small in this country. So that's when we thought, okay, we, we need to export this product. Like from the very beginning, it was a no brainer. For other entrepreneurs, I think it would make sense when you feel that your local market is not big enough in a way. So it's out of the size of the market. It's not large enough. For other entrepreneurs that are looking into expanding to new markets, I would say the first question would be besides obviously the question if you're ready, if your product, as we said before, looks the part and it's already considering the international regulations, the price points and the look and feel of the product. I think one of the main things that you have to explore is, well, my market is quite small at the moment, my local market, or is very competitive. So can I go and a great way to look into that, and it's something that I do all the time, again, related to the sort of like curious aspect of the entrepreneurship part, is looking into trends. I am subscribed to a lot of newsletters that talk about food. So it's newsletters that talk about food at a worldwide level. What are the trends? What companies are launching new products? What are the things that people are looking for? And those newsletters are always allowing you to keep a um, pulse on the market. So out of that, you can say, well, a good market for my product could be, I don't know, Scandinavia, which is interesting. It's a market that I'm actually willing to explore more as Black Mamba because Scandinavian countries are not too big on spicy food, but they're very big on ethical food. And the spicy food is a trend that is growing worldwide. I'm talking to my distributor in uh, Norway, for instance, what we can see is that literally for the past two years, there's been a more and more increase in our market in Norway. So that makes me think that I should look into other markets like Sweden. Makes me think that I want to look into other countries that are not as competitive for hot sauce to start looking into new markets. So that's the first thing that I would do. Start looking when your local market is not large enough, it's very competitive. Or when you feel that there might be other markets out there that like your product and the best way to actually look into that is by being very much 
in tune with what's happening around the world in terms of the trends, which is also great for product development. You know, like for instance, we can see that nowadays there's a big trend for fermented hot sauces or fermentation as, as a way of like, you know, getting better food that is better for your gut, for your health. So we're exploring stuff like that. And sorry, product development comes also from those ideas that other markets would like your product. So that's what I said. Obviously, you need to look into when you're looking into spending, and, but do your groundwork first. Understand the one thing that I haven't spoken before it's being in africa you sometimes get the chance to get a lot of duty-free trade agreements which is something that i haven't touched in before with other countries so look into that as well because that means your products might get preferential rates and better prices in other markets for instance as eswatini has great agreements with europe which means our products my sort of product on my tariff codes they get entrance into europe duty-free same with the United States. So that allows you to actually just also command the price that is more competitive. So do your groundwork, study trade agreements, price points, regulations, certifications, and look also at the potential markets that you can do based on, on research. That Thank you, Claudia, so much for that. So I have an extra question for you. That will be based on opportunities. So what are the opportunities available in for agripreneurs in terms of this or launching their products into new markets? What opportunities do you think that this entrepreneur explore? I think as African agripreneurs, we have so many opportunities. It's not even funny. Literally, I can see every day there is, first of all, basically, if you start looking into trends of where the food, where the world is going in terms of food, we are literally, as Africa, we're the pantry of the world. We're feeding the world. And this is going to be more and more a reality. So obviously, you are talking first commodities, which is one thing, which is obviously when you export bulk and you export the products without being processed. So in that sense, what I would do is start looking what I always do, which is like, what is what are people eating nowadays? What are they interested in? And one thing that we've noticed a lot, as I said before, is this new interest in, in health foods. So foods that are less processed, foods that are better for you. I was reading an article, for instance, about the huge comeback of millet. Millet being this grain that has been produced and grown and eaten in Africa for centuries and now is becoming the go-to sort of grain in other countries around the world. So it's almost kind of like, oh, wow, we can't do that. Or if you think about sort of other what they call superfoods like, I don't know, chia seeds that they grow beautifully in Swaziland. So it's a country that could do that. Moringa. You know, Moringa, you can grow in many countries in Africa and that has become also a big sort of a, um, leaf or plant that actually brings lots of nutrients. So those sort of things, I can see a lot of opportunity for African countries to diversify in what they grow and start targeting those growing markets outside. And another big opportunity that I see is for agripreneurs to start focusing more on organic, which is very difficult, yes, but it's where the world is going. More and more people are looking to eat foods that don't have any poison in them, you know? And there's a big market that commands a big sort of like margin and higher pricing for organic produce. I've always been a big sort of like supporter in Eswatini, especially because we're such a small country to stop kind of like growing monocrops that are terrible for the environment and are actually not great in terms of the volume that you can do. Like in Swaziland, for instance, we do a lot of sugar cane. We're a small country. Why don't we rather focus on produce that commands premium price that allows you to actually 
not having to have volumes, but rather quality on, on very niche markets that could actually bring much more to the country than that. So as I said before, I see huge opportunities. This is in the sense of commodities, but I see also huge opportunities in terms of building beautiful brands that do processing of products. So in the case of Black Mamba, you see we don't export the chilies as raw chilies or we don't powder them, but we do turn them into products that are branded and are called Black Mamba. So I see also a lot of opportunity for that, for growing beautiful brands, obviously taking into consideration that you need to do all the groundwork. But it's it's such a great thing when you see African brands that are actually taking over the world and we can actually show everybody, look, this amazing work that we've done in Africa and now we bring it to you guys. And there is a big sort of trend everywhere now to try new things. So we as African businesses really tap into that market beautifully. And the fact that we can as well do businesses with purpose that are either good to the environment or good to communities will be also a great sort of selling point for, for our products, I guess, now and in the future. Thank you, Claudia. You know, during the course of this podcast, you have definitely touched across so many things, including importance of branding, certifications, and of course, doing your proper research that would help in launching new products and markets. You've also um, explained in depth the different opportunities that are available for African agri-food entrepreneurs out there. And I trust that our listeners will look into these opportunities and of course, tap into it to build more profitable businesses, to build more sustainable businesses, and of course, to keep showcasing African superfoods to the world. So before we go, one final question for you, Claudia. So what is one thing you would want agri-food entrepreneurs who are really struggling with um, the concept of breaking into new markets? It could be even breaking into their local markets or into international markets. What's one thing you want them to take away from this podcast, especially from your own personal experience? Um, I would say for me is really perseverance, literally one thing that we distinguished entrepreneurs that made it from the ones that didn't make it is the fact that the ones that made it and i really strongly believe this is because they stuck into it and they kept on trying and you keep on trying and you keep on perfecting what you have and you learn from your mistakes you learn from other people's mistakes every time i do mentoring for other entrepreneurs and agripreneurs i tell please learn from my mistakes it's a lot cheaper <laughs> than making your own mistakes so i would say perseverance for sure the fact that you want to give up so many times throughout this journey because it's difficult it's tough you might be willing to actually get into this supermarket for three years and it is something that literally happened to us in south africa for three years pursuing the same chain because we really wanted to be there because we believe we belong there because we did etc etc and then you bump into a buyer that tells you yes and then the buyer changes and there's a new buyer and the new buyer says like sorry i'm just learning my tricks here so i don't want to engage any new products and then you just back to square zero but just to say by persevering because you really strongly believe that your product belongs there and not only because you know what i i don't believe in the fact it's like yes my product belongs there because i really feel it inside of me yeah, that's obviously very important how passionate you are about it. But do your research. Is it a room for the market for the products? Do the trends, do the trends actually work for your product or what you're doing? If the answer is yes, then persevere. And that's the reality. This chain of supermarkets that we were chasing for three years, finally, last month, decided, okay, fine. I don't know if they gave up because I was so <laughs> stubborn and just pushing them so much. But eventually they said, you know what? Yes, we're going to open the code for you because we believe your products belong here. So that's what I'm saying. I'm in the pursuit of, of Whole Foods in the US and I am not going to give up until our products are there. And that's a conviction that I have because I understand that my products will actually work really well there. And I'm working, I'm being very focused 
focused on achieving that. So focus and perseverance is definitely a way to go, but also doing the groundwork. I mean, don't expect all of a sudden, imagine you land this great opportunity and you're, you can't take it because you're not ready. You can't take it because you don't have a food certification. You can't take it because you don't know what to do. So start preparing that groundwork and, and surround yourselves with other entrepreneurs. I always call them my tribe. Of, of food entrepreneurs that have been through there start getting using available resources there like Nourishing Africa just to start tapping into opportunities. So be attuned with what the world is showing you, especially in this virtual world with everything is literally just one typing on your keyboard way and ask the rest questions, prepare, do your groundwork and persevere. That's it. I don't think there's any magic formula besides that. Oh, luck, a little bit of luck as well, I would say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Claudia. Perseverance is definitely one huge thing. And then you added a bit of luck in it. Definitely look forward to seeing your products on Whole Foods. So good luck with that. And we trust that you go for it. Thank you once again, Claudia, for joining our podcast. There you have it, our dear listeners. Once again, we have delivered another amazing episode of the Nourishing Africa podcast. We trust that you have learned a lot from this podcast session with Claudia from Black Mamba Foods. Until the next podcast episode, do have a lovely time. Bye-bye.